So, Mark. Yes? It has been ten weeks since we last recorded an episode. We got very ahead of ourselves and needed to take a break. And more importantly, we stopped recording ahead because we didn't want to record Christmas episodes while it was warm outside, so we waited until November when we'd be hitting 70 degrees. Yeah, it had to cool off at least a little bit. It felt like a good plan at the time, but then we had this weirdly warm week. Yeah, it was really gross yesterday. Like, rainy and warm. Anyway. (laughs) I wanted to check in and just see if you've watched anything at all interesting in the time since we last spoke. Because last time we were talking about movies that we were excited about going forward, and all of those movies have now been delayed until 2021. So I'm wondering what you've been watching instead. Unfortunately, I have to admit, I watched a CBS show. It was on Netflix, and it was- Mark, we've already watched God Friended Me. (laughs) So it's God Friended Me- but the opposite. It is the follow-up show from Robert and Michelle King, creators of The Good Wife, and it is called Evil, and it is so much better than it has any right to be. Like, it's still super hokey, but I hate- Isn't it like the X-Files, but it's always the devil? Yeah, so it's a uh, seminarian hires a forensic psychologist to help him investigate whether it's cases of actual demonic possession or, like- whether the person just needs mental health care, so she works for the Catholic Church. And it's wild. It's just, like, I was watching it, and I kept seeing people talking about how it's a great show to binge. I was like, there's no way this show is good. And it's so cheesy, but still, I was just like, I like this show. Damn it, CBS! I also, unfortunately, have to admit, I like The Good Wife, and we'll probably rewatch it soon. I mean, I remember when Evil premiered, Emily Vanderwerf wrote a really good review of it, and I was like, hmm, maybe I'll watch that. And then I never did. The NPR review really summed up my feelings, because it was like, CBS's new demon investigation show is dot 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 good? (laughs) Is it scary? Uh, no. Oh, okay. But Fiona thought the spirit of Christmas was scary. It It would be scary for you, Fiona, but I don't think anyone else listening. Oh my gosh, Maura was also scared. That movie was not scary in any way. That movie was scary in how boring it was. There was a scary moment in the middle of the night when the door was slamming and she saw shadows and it was not fun. It has now been a full year of us litigating whether or not this movie is scary. (laughs) What have you been watching? Um, I have continued my stay-at-home quest of watching a ton of Survivor, but I also have taken on another ill-advised movie project, which is one that I wanted to do a year ago when Disney Plus launched, and then I watched Snow White and nothing else. But in the last couple of months, I have committed to watching the releases of Walt Disney Animation Studios in release order, which seemed like a fun idea at first, because I got to do Snow White, and then I got to do Pinocchio, and then I got to do Fantasia, and I got to do Dumbo, and I got to do Bambi, and I was like, these are good movies! And now I'm in the middle of the 1940s, where I'm watching things that are allegedly movies, but are really just like mediocre short films stitched together with a loose narrative. Like the Three Amigos or whatever? I watched The Three Caballeros on Monday. I watched Saludos Amigos the week before. Are those the same Amigos? Uh, Saludos Amigos only has two of the Three Caballeros. Oh, okay. Then next I get to watch Melody Time and Fun and Fancy Free and The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. I just watched that. then I get to watch Cinderella. Ichabod? I've never seen it. I watched it on Halloween. It was interesting. I just remember the trailers from when we were growing up, and then we invented that game where you had to yell Ichabod. I have no memory of this. Oh, 
Oh, that I do remember. <laughs> you and we would throw balls down the stairs to each other, and you'd have to yell Ichabod as you threw it. A word that had no meaning to <laughs> us. We just thought it was a fun word. It has no meaning to any of us, because it's a weird name, gotta say. Yeah. I think I that one Crimson of you Peak should on name Halloween, your first child Ichabod. I'll agree to that, because there are no children in my future. Uh, okay. How about your next dog? That is actually a decent name for a dog. It kind of I, I will concede that that could be a cute name for the right dog. Okay. Sometimes I try to get my students to commit to naming their children weird names from history, like Holly Smoot, which are two last names of people who wrote a tariff in the 1930s. Do they ever agree? No, they always look at me like I'm a weirdo. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I can imagine. And then the next day, the school shut down because of a global pandemic. So maybe it's your fault. Will, your joke was so bad it ruined the world. That is what I mean, Fiona that... is implying here. <laughs> that's, that's, there's certainly some correlation. Um, Fiona, speaking of updates, mere days after we recorded an episode, making fun of someone your age, insisting on getting engaged, you went and got engaged. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, while I was still 28. So, you know, I, I beat the... I beat the friendship pact or whatever it was. The marriage pact. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Does this also mean that you win your marriage bet? I don't remember the details of that. I know that I do not get $50 out of this, but I don't remember all of the other details. Okay. But yes, it was fun timing there right after our episode. Um, have you watched anything interesting besides The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad? Uh, I also have been watching Survivor. I just finished Fans vs. Favorites. And A classic. And now I'm on the next season in Gabon. Oh, I've been watching Kim's Convenience on Netflix, which has been fun. And oh, my roommates and I just finished watching season two of the U.S. version of Love Island. There's a U.S. version? There is. And this one, because of coronavirus, what they did was they quarantined all of the cast and then they just filmed on a rooftop in Vegas. Oh, God. It was... Weird. uh, I hated it, but I loved it so much. I hate how much I loved it. If you haven't watched Australia, I would highly recommend. It's better than any British season I've watched. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, well, there was a connection because, like, my roommate's sister used to work with one of the contestants in this season, and that's why we watched it, and then we got hooked. But now I feel like I know all of them. You do get to know the characters really well. Oh, yeah. And I do see them as characters and not real people because... I don't think anyone is acting normal in that situation. I don't think anyone could act normal in that situation. Yeah, I don't think so. I am actually, it's very interesting because at least three of the couples are still together. I can only think of one from Australia. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) we are very Uh. off topic. (laughs) It is Christmas time. Hello. I want to shout out one good movie that I watched since we talked about a lot of silliness we're doing. There's a documentary on Netflix that's really good called Dick Johnson is Dead. That I think both of you would enjoy. It's on what? It's dir- it's on Netflix. Okay. It's directed by Kirsten Johnson. And it's about her and her father after his diagnosis with Alzheimer's. Where she wanted to make a movie about him just so she would have video of him. So like some of it is just a documentary about them together through those years. And like dealing with his diagnosis and his deteriorating condition. But there's also some really fun, weird, surreal stuff where as a way of like getting used to the idea of him dying, they hire a bunch of stuntmen who look kind of like him and shoot really aggressive death scenes that are like interspersed through the movie of like him walking down the street and an air conditioning unit falls and crushes him or him like flying out a window or stuff like that. And so it has this like very weird, surreal, goofy energy while also being quite lovely. Interesting. (laughs) I'll I should put watch it on my that. list. 
Yeah. Yeah, again, that's called Dick Johnson is Dead. Okay. I am, to be honest, mostly watching much sillier fare in these times. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't we all? Anyway, Merry Christmas and welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger and this is an investigative podcast committed to examining one of the least important issues of our day. Does Hollywood Christmas romance actually make any sense? It is 12 the exact wrong number of times to relive a day? Or... I think it is. Are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation or, like, one scene that we have to relive too many times. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are rejoined by hashtag Fifi Fierce herself to start our annual Christmas series with the 2011 ABC Family original film, 12 Dates of Christmas. Hello. I spritzed you and you passed out. God. How dare you? (laughs) How dare you? This is the first Christmas movie we've watched that has a scene in church, I think. That might be true. You might be right. I think even, like, including the real ones. Like, yeah, It's a Wonderful Life doesn't have any church scenes. I've seen one, um, actually, because the Christmas wedding planner does have a scene in a church, you know, for the wedding. Um, this movie, I realized that 12 is a bad number to structure a story. It is either too long or not long enough, because it's not long enough where you can have a satisfying montage to bring you through, like, just a couple repeats, but it's longer than it should be. Right, it's an interesting thing where this is a time loop movie, so our main character is reliving the same day over and over again, and you compare it to, like, other much better time loop movies... Where something like Groundhog Day, like you said, Mark, has a lot of fun with the fact that he's there for so long that, like, yeah, he's going to become a master piano player and ice sculptor and whatever. Like, Palm Springs starts off with that already having happened. Or at least in Edge of Tomorrow, he's, like, incrementally working his way towards a goal. Whereas here, we're just watching her flail and not really land anywhere that interesting. And there was just, like, way too much buildup. And then the problem with a time loop movie where only one of the romantic leads is in the time loop is the other person doesn't know enough for there to be a meaningful fight and reconciliation. Because the fight they have is immediately resolved because he doesn't know what happened. Yeah, it's, it's the big sick thing where after Emily comes out of her coma, she's talking to Kumail and she's like, it's wonderful that you went on this journey, but... To me, it was just like a day passed. And so I am where we were when we started. Right. So as you can see, I have a lot of feelings and none of them are positive about this movie. (laughs) But Fiona, you have been pushing for us. We almost did this last year and you've really wanted us to do it. I watch this movie every year at Christmas time. (laughs) (laughs) How? How? Fiona, (laughs) I never want to see this movie again. Every character was so bad, except for Sally. This movie... It's one of those ones that I just love. I know it's ridiculous. I understand that. I acknowledge it. But I will watch this year after year. Why? <laughs> um, Maybe just so I can hear that lady say, I spritzed you and you passed out again. I will make you a YouTube clip of that so you don't have to watch the movie. But that's not quite as fun. The reaction to a woman getting just like fully passed out in the middle of a busy store is insane in this movie the choir just kept singing everyone just (laughs) was walking around her for a long time the manager said she'd been out for 20 minutes i applaud the choir for finishing their song the show must go on will or or they could help the person (laughs) there were other people to do that 
But no one was doing it, except for Jim, who showed up like 20 minutes later. I also, one problem I have with this movie is the 12 Days of Christmas is perhaps one of the worst (laughs) traditional Christmas carols. It is the single worst traditional Christmas carol. Is it worse than Little Drummer Boy? Yes. Okay. Yes. I don't like this Because for starters, Little Drummer Boy is a heck of a lot shorter. Yeah, that's true. If you sing this song, you should start at the 12th day and go through it once. That's all I need. I will ask, did you guys notice the clever little things they would put in oh, each day? That is a clever wrong use of the word clever. <laughs> that is a strong use of the word clever. They were hard to miss. When it went into like practically a freeze frame when he was jumping over the boxes with his number 10 <laughs> Lord's sweatshirt on. Okay, which one was your favorite? Because I've got my favorite. The the The... When the, the chefs just showed up and walked past with four chickens, like four roast chickens, just open, walking into the cold in New York, slash probably Toronto, and the chickens will immediately lose all of their heat outside. Terrible planning on your caterer's part. <laughs> it has to be the, like, ancient cursed partridge brooch. Oh no, my favorite is the six children with the geese hats. I do like Those them. were pretty great. See, that one was actually pretty like, that one approaches clever because- oh. Yeah, that's like not nearly as ham-handed. Like, Ten Lords of Leaping to me is the worst one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or just the fact that, what is it? The perfume is called, I don't remember what it is. Nine Ladies Dancing is the name no. of the perfume no, or no, something. No, nine there ladies were nine ladies doing conga a conga line, line through the that park. That is true. Yeah, multiple ones of them are business names, which I think is lame. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Or it's even like Five Golden Rings is the name of the perfume, I think, which no. I thought is ridiculous because a nope. main plot point is there are gold rings. Oh, you're right. The ring store was not the rings. That was the... The engagement rings are not the rings. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I always think they are, and I'm wrong every time. Because this movie it somehow messes up the only one that would be easy to work into the plot. So, Fiona, for how many years have you watched this every year? Probably four or five now. That's too many. No. That's too many. Is there a movie that you have watched more than five times? Because this is by far not my most watched movie. No, I've watched... It is not the fact that you have watched a movie five times. It is very much the fact (laughs) that you have watched this movie five times. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to let you know that next year it'll be six. You know, this honestly is making me slightly regretful because we made a decision not to try covering any of the new Netflix ones. And like, there was a new Princess Switch with a character named Fiona. And we could have had a field day with that. Well, and we wouldn't have had to watch this movie. We could do that next year. Yes, the new Princess Switch movie starring famous COVID denier Vanessa Hudgens. Is she really? Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, pretty early on. Yeah, I don't know what her status is these days. Shame on her. I do want to watch the Dolly Parton one, not gonna lie. I have to wait till it's closer. I can't get full Christmassy now. But Dolly Parton and Christine Baranski are in a Christmas movie together. That sounds fun. Netflix has a lot lined up for this year they're doing a lot this year they have um holiday which is already out i haven't seen it yet and they have a tv show too which uh nick jonas is a co-producer on and the jonas brothers perform in 
I'm annoyed about this because that is a classic example of a TV show that should be a movie, and we have to stop this decompression of things that should be movies into TV shows because I only have so many hours in my life. Yeah, oh, I agree with that. Does Netflix want to make money? Because it seems like they spend so much on the worst projects. Well, Netflix is financed like a tech company, not like a film studio. So, like, they lose money and based on growing subscriber numbers just keep getting vcs to give them more money it's the kind of thing that should not work like netflix should be going bankrupt they spend more than they take in but people keep giving them more money i don't understand it but that is how the tech world works amazon also spends more than it takes in they lose money every year i don't get it like the company as a whole or just their video production no the company as a whole what i hate this But yeah, I just watched this new, like, Australian sketch comedy show on Netflix, and the production value is so much higher than it needs to be, where I'm just like, Netflix, you did not need to spend this much money to make this show. Anyway, I'm confused, and we should start talking about this movie more, because... Boy, do I have more things to say. So 12 Dates of Christmas was an ABC Family original. It premiered as part of the 25 Days of Christmas in 2011. It's directed by James Heyman, who's mostly a TV director. Uh, He did win a cinematography award from the Hong Kong Film Awards in 1987. And he was involved in shooting The Man from Hope, which is the 1992 Bill Clinton filmy kind of thing they showed at the Democratic Convention. And most interestingly, he's married to Annie Potts. Oh, who is that? Yeah, the voice of Little Bo Peep, and also a star of Designing Women. Oh, okay. and the Great Secretary in Ghostbusters. Did you know that on Designing Women, the lead actress was super conservative, and the lead character is very liberal and gave lots of like impassioned liberal speeches. And the way they got the lead actress to give these super liberal speeches was by promising that every time they made her give a speech, they would write a song in for her character to sing in a future episode. Oh my I did gosh. not know that. That's like the most ridiculous, incredible setup I ever heard of in a TV show. That's amazing. That is how you get Jenna Maroney to agree to perform. So speaking of weird writing stuff, this movie's written by Janet Brownell who wrote a bunch of these Christmas movies, Christmas in Connecticut, The Christmas Tree, etc. And the other writer is Aaron Mendelson, who is the architect of the Airbud franchise. Like he has he wrote Airbud and he has writing credits on every Airbud and Buddies film since then. What a career. That's honestly a money train that you probably could ride for a long time. Yeah. Like, dogs play sports. Although I recently learned that the buddies can talk and Airbud cannot. I have never seen any of these movies, but there was an episode of Fighting in the War Room where they went deep on the various permutations of this franchise. Which is what happens when a film critic podcast has people who start having kids. You know what is very strange to me about this movie? It creates these, like, running themes or bits that they make seem much more meaningful than they are. The worst one to me is the honey, where he's like, you smell like honey, and she says honey doesn't have a smell, and then she smells honey later, and it's supposed to be like this big aha moment. I was just- So the premise is she has never encountered honey. Honey clearly has a smell. I think the idea is she's never had good honey. She hasn't had honey from an organic farm up in the Hudson Valley. <laughs> but- There was a few other things like that in this movie where it was just, like, trying to make me believe that things meant more than they did. Well, I mean, a lot of this movie is just, like, slightly misguided in some way, where it hangs a lot of significance on things that are dumb like that, or... 
there's just like weird character relate like characters that don't make any sense like who is this dude who's making like public art for his wife every year for christmas it's his girlfriend his, or whatever and his girlfriend who then with basically no prompting goes to get hammered in a stranger's apartment one night <laughs> Uh, like I think that like the fact that this movie is a little bit out of step is signaled by the fact that it has a theme song by Jordan Sparks, which by 2011 is already too late. Like by then, Jordan Sparks is already too far removed from American Idol for that to be really compelling. They did get some buble in at the end. I know, which is one of my favorite parts. <laughs> oh, that was my favorite part too because the movie <laughs> ended. <laughs> Why did this movie have? The weirdest credits I've seen where I thought it would be bloopers and then it was just bits of the movie again. (laughs) I really thought it was about to be bloopers and I was like, at least this might be fun. And then it was just parts of the movie I just watched. Just like playing in little boxes next to the credits. Mark, are you going to be okay? No, I forget every year how insane these movies are. (laughs) Me too. Every year. Every year I watch another of these Christmas movies and I am reminded how this is just a world I fundamentally cannot live in. (laughs) And it's also just because like every year during the year I find like new romance movies that I really come to love. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Joe versus the Volcano, where, like, sometimes there are things that I know to seek out. Sometimes I stumble across them, and I'm like, wow, you know, this is really great. And so then every year I go into these Christmas movies being like, there is probably some joy that I can find here. And every year, I'm like, these are terrible. Well, we could do, like, a real Christmas movie. We year. do. We just don't have you yeah, on those episodes. we do those. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing the holiday next week. I love that movie. Yeah. You can listen to it. Oh, thanks. Are you guys trying to, like, pigeonhole me into a ridiculous person? Yeah, we've been doing that for three years. <laughs> hmm. That's why you had me on Hot Tub Time Machine 2? <laughs> no, we had you on Hot Tub Time Machine 2 because the three of us in our To All the Boys I Love Before episode promised to watch Hot Tub Time Machine 2. I still don't remember making that promise. I don't either. I think you made this up, Will. Well, you could easily make things up because I do not listen to this show. You could easily just be like, Mark, you promised to do this thing in this one episode and I would go along with anything you said. Uh, That's good to know. I mean, Mark, I I just want to be clear. We are going to watch Congo. (laughs) Yeah, I am kind of excited for that. But like back to these movies, I just think that I fundamentally cannot get into the right mindset. And it's, I guess it's not really the movie's fault. Like, they are doing what they're doing. It just does not jive with me. I just cannot watch these without being so confused (laughs) and, like, focusing on the confusing parts of the plot. Like, the major plot holes. Like, why does she still have her ex-boyfriend's dog in her apartment, even on days where she's never met up with her ex-boyfriend? I mean, that's just, like, continu- That's like basic continuity mistakes. Like, they should be better than that. Any project should be better than that. Also, I did appreciate this movie did not judge her for caring about her job. That was a very yes. refreshing moment. Yeah. She wasn't, what like, was her job? too focused on her job to love Christmas or anything. I don't know what her job is. She probably talks about it. 
I don't think they really address it. She just works in an office because this is not a movie where the job matters in any way, which honestly I really liked where it wasn't like her job made her hate Christmas. She was just a woman that cared about her job and also liked Christmas, but was just sad to be single this year. I will say the best version of the job thing is in Spirit of Christmas where she's the appraiser. No, she's not the appraiser. She works for the like charity that needs and needs to get it appraised. Yeah. But she's about to get the she's about to get the promotion because she doesn't care about Christmas. Oh man, and you she's guys should work. you guys should watch Christmas Bell. That's Bell with an E at the end, right? Yes, it is with Haley Duff, not yeah, Hillary. <laughs> Hillary's sister. Haley Duff has actually been in a number of these Christmas movies. Girl, if so you can if you this? can get into this gig, milk it for all it's worth. Oh, sure. we will discuss that in two weeks when we talk about another one of these bad Christmas movies. I have so much information about people who have spent a long time in this universe. I tried really hard to find, like, good information on this one especially because this movie exists more than the one we're going to do later. But, like, I learned so much today about tracking down 10-year-old Nielsen ratings, and I still could not find out how many people watched 12 Dates of Christmas when it premiered. Wow. I bet it was a lot of people. Uh, It wasn't because it was not (laughs) in the top 25 things watched on TV that night. Uh Oh. It also was not in the world where these movies were in the mainstream. That's true. And I will say, you know, one factor whenever we talk about these Christmas movies is we we often kind of circle back to the conservatism of the genre with people being punished for caring too much about their jobs. And usually uh, cities are terrible. And it is worth saying that we are not covering any new ones this year, but... A lot of this year's batch are at least, like, more diverse in terms of racial representation. Hallmark has a gay one. It's not a romance, but it's about a gay couple adopting a kid. So, like, at least as this genre gets more popular, they are trying to make it reflect the world somewhat more. That is true. Like, things are moving at a glacial pace in the world of Christmas. But also, the first of these Christmas movies came out in, like, October. Yeah, Netflix put out (laughs) Holiday before Halloween. I just don't know how you can have that much stamina for Christmas. I mean, I know people who already have their Christmas trees up. This is a year I will forgive that because we need as much joy. And if Christmas brings you joy, go for it. That's true. I will not condemn someone for using what they have around their home to do some redecorating after spending so long (laughs) inside. Also very fair. All right. Um, so basically, part of my point with the Nielsen's, like, I don't have a lot about this movie. The Wikipedia page is a stub. You can help Wikipedia by expanding it. Oh, so maybe I, I will. So I think that we should probably move into Fiona's, I'm guessing, 12 points for this movie. Let me tell you, I did consider it. It would make it so much easier. <laughs> I will also let you know that I decided to give the two of you a very generous Christmas gift. And there is no point zero in this list. Wait a minute, this is lowering the standards. (laughs) This is like when my students ask me to congratulate them when they hand in their work on time. Like, you don't get props for meeting the bare minimum expectations. We say, come up with five points. You come up with six, you're in the wrong. We say, five points, come up with five points. You don't get thanked for that. That's just, that's the expectation when you come and do this. Well, I only have five, and happy Christmas to you. Happy Christmas. Uh, Okay, should we get started? Yeah, let's talk about this movie. And also, her apartment. Oh, gosh. (laughs) The ugliest apartment I have ever seen in a movie. It looked like 
something threw up all over the place. It's impossible to describe what threw up on it, too, because it's like at least 10 different things all vomited into her apartment. (laughs) Exactly. It's like you took kid pick, like the box of kid picks, and poured it out (laughs) into her home. That's very, I like that. That's accurate. Honestly, that gives you such a good idea of what her apartment looks like. But anyway. All the faces along her mantle like she's in Bravos. Ew, the mannequin heads. Yeah, those were rough. So anyway, every week we break down the romantic plotline of the movie we're discussing into five points to help us navigate the relationship. And Fiona, as our guest, you're in charge of walking us through 12 Dates of Christmas, which constantly throws me off because there is not a the in the title. Like, one of the many crimes this movie has visited upon me is that in referring to it properly, it is just 12 Dates of Christmas. Well, I hope you'll be able to move past that. I probably will not. Okay. I don't think he's going to put much effort into moving past (laughs) it either. Yeah, on this movie that I will never watch again. Oh my gosh. Have you not seen it before? Wait, have neither? No. No. Fiona. I had seen this before. The only Christmas movies. How was that not clear right now? The only bad Christmas movies I watched are the ones I've watched with you, Fiona. (laughs) I'm just shocked that like Will has never seen this with me before. No, all I've done is for the last four or five years, you have shouted, I spritzed you and you passed out at me at random intervals. (laughs) So, believe me, I knew to anticipate the phrase, but I had not seen the movie. Oh, Oh, God. I can't imagine living in the Redmond household sometimes. (laughs) It's a trip. Okay, so we will start with point one. What's going on? I spritzed you and you passed out. And the, this point is that Kate and Jack are broken up, but she is planning on getting him back this Christmas. And so we see her at her work party and she's trying to figure out a gift to get him and she calls him and I, I think she actually talks to him and she's basically saying, or maybe she leaves a message, but she says that she really misses the dog and she was hoping that they could all spend Christmas together. Okay, so Kate is played by Amy Smart, who... Had a recurring role in Felicity. She's featured in some teen movies around the end of the 90s, like Varsity Blues and Road Trip. By this point in the 2010s, she's mostly doing TV movies. So this is like the beginning of an era for her. But Mark, I did want to jump in because in 2004, Amy Smart won an MTV Movie Award for Best Kiss for Starsky and Hutch in a three-way kiss between her, Carmen Electra, and Owen Wilson. Ugh. And I wanted to read you this list because this is the most 2004 list of makeouts. Oh, so God. in addition to that winner, we have Charlize Theron and Christina Ricci in Monster, Keanu Reeves and Monica Bellucci in The Matrix Reloaded, Jim Carrey and Jennifer Aniston in Bruce Almighty, and Sean Ashmore and Anna Paquin in X2 X-Men United. That's a bad year for kissing. It is. It's a terrible year for kissing. I have not seen the movie Monster, but I know that that is an inappropriate nomination. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> But then, like, the next year, you get the notebook kiss, which is at least, like, a good kiss, even if it's a dumb movie. Yeah, I agree with that. I just love that they hate each other. Anyway, (laughs) speaking of bad people, Kate, the lead of this movie, is terrible. She is by far the least sympathetic of any of these, like, actor characters. Yeah. I shouldn't have said actors. I have no idea what Amy Smart is like, but her character is terrible. Because she is hung up on this dude that she dated for, like, a couple of years. Yeah. Two years. And then two years. They've been broken up for a while, though. I think it's just a couple months. Okay. But so she's scheming to get back with her boyfriend by asking to see the dog for Christmas. 
Right. And then she'll just from there convince her ex-boyfriend to stay and they'll all just spend Christmas together. And this is kind of what kicks it all off because when she's out at the mall shopping for a Christmas gift for him, that is when she gets spritzed and she passes out. So I'm very confused about the timeline of this day because at the start of the movie, she's at work. They are having a work party, which to me suggests it is the afternoon. With booze. From the work... Sorry? I'm pretty right, sure yeah, they're drinking. They're, yeah. They are. At the work party, she is given her secret Santa gift, which is a book by noted homophobe Nicholas Sparks, speaking of the notebook. She then goes to like a bar with her friend and then goes to a department store for shopping. And that's when she gets spritzed and passes out, when somebody sprays some perfume on her and it knocks her out. The time loop that she experiences starts back in the department store when she is spritzed. Which, as far as I'm concerned, means she, sh- she should be starting in, like, late afternoon at best every day. Well... But she has hours in the middle of every day to, like, go on weird adventures. So I just don't understand how any of this works. Is it an 8 a.m. <laughs> drunk office party? Well, that is what I it's thought. It's Christmas Eve. So my guess is they probably have a half day or something, and so they just spend the morning partying. And then she's got the whole rest of the day. And once you get the buzz going at your office party, you might as well just continue it at the bar. Yeah. Like, that's the only way it makes sense. I'm pretty sure she gets spritzed at noon. Like, I think it is a 12-hour cycle. Okay. Okay. I don't know why I have that in my head, but that is what I figured. And that's the only time frame that makes sense for how much she can accomplish in the loop. Because the amount that she gets done by the last loop in her one day is bananas. (laughs) Yeah. So she she gets spritzed and passes out. Fiona, what happens after she wakes up? I do not remember, to be honest. Well, that's when we get into each day, basically, which I have as being a later point. Yeah, well, I guess now we're at my point two, basically. So should we just go on? Yeah. All right. Okay. What's going on? I spritzed you and you passed out. So we find out that Kate's mom has died and that her dad has remarried this woman, Sally, and Kate doesn't- Except Kate, also a bad person, not only, like, does not acknowledge her dad's new marriage, she refers to Sally as, like, basically, like, that woman he's sleeping with. Yeah. It's so unfair because she's so great. Yeah, and Kate is, like, such a mean person that then, of course, you know, later on she's gonna spend a bunch of time trying to break up a perfectly lovely relationship- Yeah. But anyways, so we find out that Kate has a blind date on Christmas Eve, which is already an interesting choice. But the date is with Sally's godson. It's insane that you would set up a blind date on Christmas Eve and then have dinner with the parents. That's way too much pressure on a first date. Unless Sally is like trying to make Kate a better person by bringing her to the Lord. And so she's like, if I get them started, then maybe Kate will tag along to Midnight Mass with this dude. I mean, Sally is definitely like plotting something with this because we find out that she specifically told Miles to call Kate Katie because it will annoy her. Yeah, which what the heck? Like, call people what they want to be called. Everyone in this movie is terrible. Um, <laughs> so she goes to the bar. She's a jerk to him for having ordered a beer for her, which, like, oh I get gosh. it. Like, let people order for themselves, but she's obnoxious about it. Yeah, she yeah. takes it too far. Because Nick and I were actually talking about this, where he was like, I mean, if she doesn't like beer, that's fine. But I was like, but she takes it way too far. Instead of just being like, oh, I don't like beer. Can I get a white wine to the waitress? She's like, I don't like anything carbonated. I don't like lager. It's always so bitter. And I'm like, okay, chill pill, Kate. Yeah, just make your point and move on. So anyway, she's found this dude who is played by uh, Mark Paul Gosselaar, uh, best known for being the lead on Saved by the Bell. 
But I would also like to observe that at least in 2011, he is a classic example of someone who a made-for-TV movie is trying to signal us is very handsome, despite being a pretty bland-looking dude. (laughs) He's pretty generic. None of the men in this movie are remotely attractive. They are all so boring. When we saw him at the hockey rink wearing the big puffy vest and stuff, I was like, maybe he's attractive now, but I think it was Stockholm Syndrome. I think by then I had just buckled under the pressure of the movie. You know Miles is, is the guy. So. Miles is definitely more attractive than Jack. Yes. Yeah, I agree. He just looks more real. So anyway, she's on the date and she gets a call from Jack and she's well, like, she, oh, yes, of course. She's like looking at her phone the whole time waiting for that call too. Yeah. Oh, and he's annoying on the date too then because he starts like saying ridiculous stuff and she goes, wait, what? And she's like, oh, I got you to look at me. It's like, chill out, dude. It was rude of her to be on the phone. I can understand being annoyed because she took it to an extreme for a blind yeah, date. No, I agree, but I think everyone's annoying here. Everyone in this movie oh, sure. is annoying. There's no one I was rooting for. That said, he came all the way from Staten Island. Wait, well, he was coming in for dinner she goes. She goes out to Staten Island? Like, that adds well, so much says, time. I miss that. Well, he came, Miles came from Staten Island because that's where the like hockey thing is. Maybe this whole movie's on Staten Island. I don't know. It's no. I'm pretty sure it's Brooklyn. Well, and well we I'm pretty to sure mention, it's Toronto. <laughs> well, yeah. We forgot to mention Toby also sitting in the bar waiting for a blind date, and he thinks. Uh, did that we have to mention Toby? Kate is Phyllis at first, and she has to tell him no, and then she goes to her date with Miles. Yeah, Toby's a boring dude. So Jack calls her, and she's like, "Fine, uh, Miles, peace out." I'm going to see this other guy. And she goes to meet up with Jack. And that is when she discovers that actually Jack is not here to like start banging and get back together with her. He is there with his high school sweetheart, Nancy. (laughs) And he's like, here, you can take the dog, but I'm going to go to the cabin and propose to the person that is actually in love with me. She also tells Jack after this that he can still keep the gift, which it's just weird because he did not get her a gift because, you know, they're not together. He brought her the dog. True. And it's honestly, I love that he's like, oh, this was super great. I needed a dog sitter anyway. Yeah. Now he gets one for free. So she takes the dog and she's grumpy. She does not go to see her. Does she go to see her dad that night? She does. Because that's when she's rude to Sally. And then she has a conversation with her dad about how she she just hates how she's going to be alone forever on Christmas. And then that's when Miles calls Sally because he's upset with how he was treated on the date and he says he's not coming to dinner. And Kate says she'll call him tomorrow and Sally just looks at her and goes, you missed your chance with that one. So Kate goes home, gets into bed, falls asleep while her dog like flails in the vague direction of a remote, which happens (laughs) to turn it on to QVC where they are selling an ancient cursed partridge (laughs) brooch whose red eye glows menacingly into the darkness i guess causing time to flow backwards and kate is now going to be trapped in this day until i don't know she gets a kiss is this little mermaid rules i was never sure no it's until she sets out it's until she sets off a bomb inside of the time vortex oh gosh okay so now we're on point three what's going on i spritzed you and you passed out and so this is the first couple days that Kate relives and basically, and we can talk about it in more detail, but she spends these days 
basically trying to figure out how to actually get Jack back. She thinks that is what's going to make her happy. She'll have a boyfriend at Christmas and it's going to be Jack. Yeah, so she spends a lot of time, again, conspiring to break up this perfectly lovely relationship. It is weird that he proposed after only dating for two months, even if they've known each other their whole lives. Yes. So one thing that happens is she shows up for her date with Miles. And at one point it comes out that Miles has a wife and Kate is like, well, I'm meeting up with my boyfriend and she leaves him there. The next time the wife comes up, it is like full, very Potter musical levels of mentioning your dead relative where he's like, ah, yes, you know, my my late wife, my wife who is dead, my wife died. Right. (laughs) Saying it six or seven different ways. Also, this wife had death is fairly gruesome. Yeah, Yeah, it took me by surprise. I was taken aback. It's all about finding her body lying on the floor. Being so specific where he was like, I was half an hour too late to save her. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and this is his first Christmas since her death. It's a little bit rushed, I feel like. Yeah. But this is also when Kate, in this day, she again had made plans to meet up with Jack to get the dog. And this time she wears kind of a, like a, I don't know. If an it's ugly slinky, dress. But a dress. Yeah. It is and- an ugly dress. That <laughs> yeah. is true. Yeah, I don't like the color. But she invites him to go get a drink. And she mentions that she knows he's going to the cabin with Nancy, which is weird since she doesn't know Nancy. She's very bad at the time loop thing. Like she's always tossing around information that she shouldn't have. So many times. And also she keeps, even on days where she doesn't meet Jack, she has the dog. Yeah, I don't know about that. On one of the days, she goes to her doctor. She says she thinks she's having, she's got a brain tumor and she tries to explain what's going on. And he says, yeah, that's holiday anxiety. And that is the same day too, where she shows up at Jack's apartment and asks if he has the engagement ring already, which again is weird because they haven't spoken. Uh, But he does not. So the next day she like meets him at the ring store and is trying to convince him there not to propose. And that's when he's like, I was gonna propose to you, but then your mom died and you lost all focus. And it's like, well, yeah, her mom just died. Like, that is a reasonable time to start feeling different. I mean, I think that if she is becoming so obsessed with her mom died, I need to get engaged. It is also fair for him to reevaluate that because it does kind of change like the motivation behind it. And it does sound like she kind of spins out and crashes and burns the relationship. And it almost is like... Except the relationship then lasts like a year and a half longer. Right. That's what I don't get. That is the confusing part. It would be one thing if the relationship had ended after the mom died. It's weird that they date for another 18 months. Yeah. That is bizarre. Their whole relationship never made sense to me. Well, that's unfair because nothing in this movie makes sense. So why should I single that out? So around this time, does she start focusing in more on Miles too? Who, by the way, we should note, in addition to being the hockey coach for a bunch of foster kids, is clearly into some new age stuff because he goes to the effort to point out her heart line at one <laughs> point on her hand. And I believe But gets it wrong. wrong. Yeah. But yeah, she does. And that's when she shows up at the bar for their date early. And Toby is there again too. But she shows up and she sees that Miles is also there early. And so she has a conversation with him without introducing herself. So now they're both two strangers sitting in a bar talking about what they like to do before dates. I think this is when we get all the dead wife talk. Yeah, it is. And then when she gets up to leave, when she gets the call from Jack, she tells him. That's when she tells him like, hey, if your date doesn't show up, don't take it personally. Which also is very weird. So does this take us to point number four then? Like... There's all this Jack business, which is very tiresome, and it's really leaning into, like, her being unlikable. 
And the thing that Groundhog Day does well is that Bill Murray is a jerk in it, but he's having engaging enough adventures that you're like, I'm going to keep watching this guy. Whereas she is both bad and boring. So there's nothing to latch onto. Yeah. Yeah. There was one day where she goes crazy and like dyes her hair and gets a tattoo and buys a bunch of things. That's the fun one. And honestly, I was really hoping she would wake up with the tattoo still. (laughs) That should be the one like side effect. She buys a great like bright orange jacket skirt combo. The whole time I was thinking, imagine if that was the day you wake up on Christmas morning and you're like millions of dollars in debt. You have a bad haircut and you have a tattoo that you don't really want. That haircut is one of the worst TV wigs I've seen since how I met your mother. <laughs> I know, it's so bad. Yikes. <sighs> okay, yeah. So point four is when she, instead of spends her time focusing on getting Jack back, she starts to spend more time with the various people in her life, whether she knew them or not. What's going on? I spritzed you and you passed out. So at this point, we get her baking with her neighbor. Her neighbor who makes just apparently hundreds of Christmas cakes, but thinks that it's too expensive to mail them. So she just hands them out to strangers. Well, she loves to bake. Her neighbor is a strange person. I believe she is in a Santa Claus, the Santa Claus. I could be making that up. That's She's in a bunch of stuff. I think she is in the Santa Claus. I looked her up and she was like the only one where I was like, I think I have seen her before. Yeah. And she does get a little romance of her own because she gets together with Jim because they have been to the same part of Mexico. Yep. Um, And this is also when Kate meets Lee, who is the girlfriend of the guy who sets up the Christmas light snowflake every year. How can a man who makes a light arrangement every year be so incompetent with strings of Christmas lights? I don't know. You would think he would have a whole system. He has these just balls of lights that are impossible to untangle, except that he's tangling himself in them. And also, like, where is this place that he's making the lights? Is this a public park? It's also not even, like, really clear what he could do with it. Yeah. But yeah, so Lee just goes back to her apartment and they get smashed in the middle of the afternoon. Right. And then her dad and Sally and Miles all show up at her apartment and see her with her mess of an apartment. But then Miles still agrees to go on the date. And that's when she finds out that he's the hockey coach and everything, I believe. And he designed part of Prospect Park, I think. Right. He he claims to be a park architect. Yeah. Yeah, there was just like a little part of the park that he designed, which was nice enough. And then she also takes Toby on a big shopping spree to try to change his wardrobe for him. I was annoyed the one time loop time that she makes Miles go on a date with her to a Christmas tree lot, knowing that her elevator is broken and that she makes him carry a Christmas tree up like four flights of stairs to her apartment. Yeah. And she's like clearly thinks it's funny. She thinks it's funny. I can't believe he went through with it. She's a bad person. Yeah. Oh, and this is also when she starts thinking that fate is involved in all of this and that part of what has to happen is that Jack has to propose to Nancy. But when she ran into him at the ring store, they ended up going out for coffee and he didn't buy a ring. So she then drives up to the cabin and just bursts in on them in front of everybody, which is just Jack and Nancy. But in front of Nancy, she gives Jack this whole speech about how he has to propose to Nancy, only to find out that he already had. Leave Jack alone. Don't drive into the wilderness to your ex-boyfriend's cabin 
where he's like trying to have Christmas with his gonna be fiance. She's it's dumb. Like Katie thinking that the thing that needs to fix the loop is them getting engaged is her being like, maybe the solution isn't about me. But by going there, she's still making it about her. Yeah. Like, as if she's the one who has to make it happen for the two of them. Right. It it seems pretty likely that he was going to propose even if he had not encountered her that day. Yes. Yeah. That that was his plan. He was going to buy a ring and propose. It's not about you, Kate. Ugh. And I guess she's getting, like, I thought it took her way too long to realize for sure, like, I need to marry or, like, get together with him. Like, before she focuses on Miles. I do always wonder, like, one of the things these movies, as far as I'm concerned, it's like, it's like vampire movies. Like, a vampire movie needs to decide at the beginning, is this a world in which vampire movies exist? Because if so, you come in with a certain understanding of how vampires work. Like, for better or for worse, Twilight is a movie that assumes we have a certain understanding of vampires, and it goes out of its way to say, these vampires aren't working like those vampires. And this is a movie where I'm not sure whether, like, Groundhog Day exists in this movie. Palm Springs is clear. Like... They're like, yes, you're familiar with time loop movies. We don't need to explain this. And I just want to know, like, has Kate ever seen Groundhog Day? I don't know. I don't think so. She seems very lost. I think if I were, honestly, if I were to find myself in a time loop situation because of movies, I would get it in the first, like, 20 minutes. It would probably take me a little bit longer to be sure, but, like, it wouldn't take that long. Yeah. So she's just, like, being nice now, but still in an annoying way. I think that is what subs up point four. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so basically, now that she's done all of these nice things, point five. What's going on? I spritzed you and you passed out. Is when Kate finally realizes that Miles is who she's supposed to fall in love with. She's now done all of these nice things. She's basically brought a whole Christmas party's worth of people over to her dad's house, which is Unacceptable. That, no, because I did say that, but in the first day, Sally talks about how upset she is that it's just going to be such a small Christmas thing. She wanted the grandchildren. She did not <laughs> ask for a teenage hockey team to show up in her home. There were too many people. If it was just like her and Miles, the grandkids, maybe like Jim and Marjean, and then and Toby and her friend, and Toby and her yeah. friend, and then the other couple that she helped get engaged. Great, but it seemed like the entire hockey team was overkill, and then there were some strangers who we'd never seen before. I assume they invited Midnight Mass along. Oh, could be. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Well, like they can't have gone to Midnight Mass because they have to kiss oh, right. at midnight. Right. right. And that's the thing. They go outside and she's like, well, it's almost midnight. I might disappear right now. And they kiss and she doesn't disappear. And, and then Michael Buble starts playing. Michael Buble comes in. Uh, this movie gets it wrong because midnight is not marked by the first stroke of the bell. It's marked by the last tolling of the bell. Like the first so bell hits. The bells start during 1159. Yeah. Yeah. The end of the bell marks the hour. So the first bell rings and he's like, oh, it's midnight. And I'm like, no, it's 1159. You have a minute to like, got to figure this out. I think actually that was the key because I think that if they waited until midnight, she would have reverted. My theory is that she needed to kiss someone on the day. Yeah. So that bell ringing is like the, the last countdown. 
Did they not kiss on any of their other dates in the other days? I don't think we see them kiss. I don't think there's any kissing except for that kiss in this movie. Well, she was about to kiss him because there's one day where she wakes up on the floor of the mall and she is like puckered up and everyone's giving her a weird look. Right. Oh, that is right. All right. Uh, I think that is the end of this movie. (laughs) Now, do you find the romance of 12 dates of Christmas believable. Not the 12 dates of Christmas, (laughs) just 12 dates of Christmas. I do not. No. For starters, I think that the point that Mark brought up is an important one, which is that Miles only ever experiences any one version of the day. Like, Kate gets all of them. But as far as Miles goes, like, on the last one, the one where everything goes right, it starts for Miles as a blind date. Maybe he just believes in love at first sight. It starts as a blind date, and then he brings a bunch of foster children to a strange home. Also, isn't that the <laughs> is that the day? No, because the tenth day is the one where she like schemes to get the kid to be able to bring the dog to the foster home. That's one that's really quick. That's yeah. a quick day where she just sees him and then she starts over again. But yeah, part of the problem is that this thing asks too much of Miles to be like too way into it after again what is a blind date. Yeah, I agree. So every week we rate the believability of a romance on a 10-point scale, where zero means we believe none of it, and 10 means we believe all of it. And Fiona, I'm curious where you would rate the romance of 12 Dates of Christmas. I'm going to give it a one. I wouldn't go that low. No, it's not that bad. Because she, at the same time, she is very nice to him on a first date. It is a blind date, but they have a connection. Like, he knows Sally still. So I can see him getting, like, interested. It's just that it takes the conclusion way too far. So I was going to give it, like, a four or a five. I only said one because I assumed you guys would say zero, and I wanted to be one above you guys. Fiona, you're supposed to do this honestly. It's not about gaming the system. (laughs) You're not supposed to guess what we will do. There's no integrity. How long have you been doing this? A lot. We have to, Will, you have to, you have to go back and redo all of the ratings. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's go. Fiona, what's your actual romance rating of Hot Tub Time Machine 2? I don't remember what I said. Probably What's your actual romance rating of my best friend's wedding? I don't know. No, we're not doing this. What's your actual romance rating of Dr. Doolittle? I spritzed you and you passed out. Um, Mark, I don't know that I'm as high as a four out of five. Because, for starters, I also think the timeline for Miles on the other end is too short. It's been less than a year since, like, this is his first Christmas. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. I think he's less open to going as hard into this as the movie suggests. Okay, that's a fair point I had forgotten about, revising down to a three. Yeah, I think a three sounds reasonable. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. So, as we go through this, Fiona, do you think that Kate or Miles is dateable? Um, Kate is not. No, she's a bad person. Miles, maybe, but not now. I would not want to date him this close to his wife's gruesome death. That's the thing. Like, maybe in a couple years. Fiona, uh, I want you to imagine. I know you are you are promised to a man, but uh, <laughs> I want you to imagine that you're like on a that date. Wording. That's uh-huh. weird. <laughs> I want you to imagine Yuck. that you're on a date and a man takes hold of your hand and starts describing your heart line to you. Oh, I'm out of there in a second. Right, so that's the thing. Uh, yeah. No. Hard no on both. I'm a no on Miles. He's not. Now, do we think Kate and Miles will stay together? They have had a magical Christmas kiss. No. Not the Christmas kiss, (laughs) but a Christmas kiss. Were there knots or butterflies? I'm a hard no. He is not over the gruesome death of his wife. I also just don't have a lot of faith in Kate to be able to continue being, like, nice Kate when she doesn't get multiple tries of every day. Yeah. 
Like, I don't feel that I've seen enough character growth in her. Mark, it's coming back to what you said at the beginning. Like, this is exactly the wrong number of days to loop. Yeah, I mean, if you cannot have a convincing montage, it has to be under eight. To fit the, like, a good, solid five-act structure, you have the first couple to get used to it, you have a build-up in the middle, you have the blow-up, and then you have the resolution. Probably seven max. Or you go the 51st States route, and you can have, like, 20 rapid-fire as just one-line jokes. Twelve- way too much or way too few now one thing that we do have to address is if you did have to pick one person in this movie to date fiona who would it be i think i would pick margine the neighbor she just seems nice she does a lot of baking she has a great apartment she's way too pushy for a neighbor i agree with that i'm choosing she could teach you that honey has a smell that's true. I'm going to choose her coworker Miyoko because there is nothing. She is so bland, but kind of fun. Yeah, she's nice. Uh, I'm going to do Nancy, who is Jack's fiance. A blank slate. It's just generally nice. She's a nobody. All right. So a lot of the movies we cover have been adapted into stage musicals. And I have to ask, I know one person who would pay to see this on Broadway, but should they adapt 12 Dates of Christmas into a musical? I think it could be interesting. I'm not a no. I'm not a hard no. Not for me, because I hate the song 12 Days of Christmas, and oh, you would hear it oh. so many times. Wait a minute, you're right. Okay, you then I'm mind. a no. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, right. That's it. I think that's about it for this movie. Thank God. Next week, as mentioned earlier, we will be discussing the Nancy Myers Christmas movie, The Holiday. I have never seen a Nancy Myers movie. Ooh. That's not true. We have covered the parent trap on this podcast. I have never seen an adult person's Nancy Myers movie. I've only seen the intern of that bunch, so I've never seen one of the romances. So I'm excited. But until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Reviews on Apple Podcasts in particular really help other people to find the show. Now, I dread to hear the answer to this, (laughs) but last question, what is the best piece of dating advice we got from 12 Dates of Christmas? Fiona. Mm, I know, I'm trying to think. Um, The best piece of dating advice would be to... The best piece of dating advice from this movie would be to... Find out everything you can about them beforehand, and then you can just (laughs) model. You are recommending stalking. (laughs) Okay, just kidding. But um, maybe in a maybe with less time, without reliving the same day twelve days in a row, just better yourself. Be a better person. My thought, others. Mine was basically: if you're a bad person, pray you get stuck in a time loop so that you can (laughs) just give it a couple tries before you get it right. When you are meeting someone on a first or early date, don't be staring at your phone the whole time. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. Well, there you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye. On the 12th day of Christmas, my true love gave to me.
I spritzed you and you passed out. Uh-huh. <laughs>